I began praying for patience a number of years ago. And for about six months, everyone did well. And I thought I had discovered the secret of flawless surgery, to say a prayer with the patient before surgery. I remember when I started out, I was, I was very timid, and I would go into the preoperative area, and there are those thin curtains on, on either side of the gurney, the stretcher waiting to take the patient to surgery. And I would, uh, I would look on both sides of those curtains to, to, to make sure no one was listening. It was a top-secret situation when I prayed. A patient named Sam walked into my office, and Sam was about in his 30s. He was a nursing student, was not from the United States, but was trying to, well, he was in nursing school trying to, to get a job. He didn't want to be on the welfare system, wanted to, wanted to work. Sam had a difficult problem. He had a cervical arterial venous malformation. That's a tangle of blood vessels. If you take your index finger, it's sort of where the knuckle is. That's the big tangle of vessels that took up the space in this man's cervical spinal cord, pushing the cord out so it was just a little ribbon, slowly losing the, the use of his arms and his legs. We talked about surgery. We delayed it for Oh, a few months, but he just kept getting worse. He could no longer draw blood. We scheduled the surgery, and I knew this was going to be a difficult case. The cervical arterial venous malformations are probably one of the high-risk, if not the highest-risk procedures that we do. I had begun... I joined a home group or began attending a home group, and so for the first time in my career, I had asked other people to pray for me. And for a, a neurosurgeon, that, that humility, that honesty to say, I need help, that was a big step for me. But I also wanted every box checked. I wanted the formula. I wanted to make sure that I had done absolutely everything to guarantee the success of this case. The day of surgery came. I prayed for Sam before the surgery. Went into surgery, and it is a... Well, I just love the surgery. We went in from the femoral artery, went inside with a little tube, threaded it up into Sam's cervical spinal cord. And with that catheter, with that little tube there, I was able to inject glue to close this down. It was a, a very technical case, brilliant case. It went very, very well. I was so pleased. Uh, everything that I prayed for was accomplished. In the recovery room, uh, I said, Sam, move your fingers, and he moved his fingers. Move your toes, and he moved his toes. And I was so happy. I said, Sam, let's just pray and thank God that things have gone well. 
I went back to my office, and uh, a few hours later, I received a, a call. It said, Dr. Sam is not moving his right side as well. Would you come up? Sure, I said. I'll be up. So I went up, examined Sam, and sure enough, his right arm was weaker. I didn't know why. And Sam said, Doctor, what's happening? Why am I getting weaker? Sam, I don't know, but we're going to give you some, some steroids, some medication. We're going to try to shrink the swelling. We think it's probably some swelling. But let's pray again. So I prayed again for Sam. Over the next 24 hours, Sam became totally paralyzed from the neck down. I went in the next day and obviously hurting. What about all these prayers? It wasn't, well, I thought, well, that's simple. I'm sure God will, he's going to come through. Sam is, is going to walk again. Uh, it's just a matter of time. I just have to keep up my faith. And so I prayed again for Sam uh, the first day and the second day. And every day that week, I would go in and pray for Sam, and every day, nothing would happen. And, he's, and every day, Sam would look at me with those big eyes and say, Doctor, what's happening? Why is this happening? When am I going to get better? I said, Sam, Sam I don't know, I, let, but let's, let's pray again. And we know that after three days, it's difficult to recover. But three, day three came and day three went. And now, maybe day five, Sam was having trouble breathing. He got a pneumonia because the muscles of inspiration were paralyzed in his chest and he was put on a breathing machine. When was God going to answer this prayer? And I went, I remember a week later, I was just sort of numb. These kind of things, they really rock you and you... You personally, you take it personally somehow because you're so invested and it's cost you so much to, to do whatever you've done. A week later, I remember I had surgery scheduled again and as I walked up the stairs, I came to the preoperative area and I just, it was sort of on autopilot. You know how how you can get. As a, as a surgeon, we're sort of trained to, uh, uh, to stuff our emotions. And there I was. And all of a sudden, I came to the preoperative area, and I started going forward to see the next patient, and a thought came to me, are you going to pray today? You've got good evidence that prayer doesn't work. His name is Sam. He's down in the intensive care unit. Are you, are you going to pray today? I thought about that. I thought, hmm. I've actually never prayed when I didn't actually feel like praying. Um, yeah, because, you know, you might not want to pray because you don't even believe prayer works today. And you'll be a hypocrite. And who knows what hypocritical prayers might do. They might do some damage. Probably should not pray today. I thought, yeah, I might do some damage. You know, and all of this, I don't know if you can relate being in this mental tug of war of just not knowing what to do and, and being pulled these different directions and having so much pain and so much emotion. 
And then I heard this little voice say, just do the right thing. Hmm. Interesting how that voice knows that you know the right thing to do. And as soon as I heard that voice, I, I, I could have argued with it, but you, no matter how short, and it's usually short and very small and very brief and very to the point, you just need to move on it. And so I began to walk toward the patient, feeling, still feeling nothing, just very mechanical. And I put my hand on the patient's shoulder. First, I, I asked her, Mrs. Chavez, I said, would you like to say a prayer before your surgery? It was a Catholic woman. She said, oh, I'd like that, doctor. Now, she had no idea what was going on inside of me. And I had never just prayed when I didn't feel anything. So I just mechanically put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, God, thank you for Mrs. Chavez. You made the vessels in her brain, and you can help me to fix them. I ask for wisdom and skill and success for this surgery. In Jesus' name, amen. I took my hand off, and it was interesting. By the time I finished that prayer, I had something that I didn't have when I started. I had a little bit of faith. I mean, what am I going to say? Oh, yeah, the operation's all me now. I don't need God anymore. I'm not praying for me. I'm praying for her. She needs the prayer. My little situation with God, that's between us, but this woman needed a prayer. And then I heard something that I had never heard before. You remember how I, would, I was so nervous, I'd always look on the other side of those curtains. On the other side of the curtain, I heard, uh, Hey, Doc, when you're finished praying over there, would you come over here and pray for me? <laughs> My name My doctor didn't pray for me, he said. <laughs> so afraid I was that someone might hear me. Hmm. And I pushed the curtain aside, and there was an African-American pastor who, his family couldn't be with him. He was having some abdominal surgery, I believe. Now, isn't this interesting? out of your comfort zone, when you are facing a needle or a scalpel or a letter from a lawyer or whatever your fear is, the first thing that happens is you forget that God is with you. It happens to all of us. And it was happening to a pastor who every week stands up to preach the word, but when he's in a crisis, what happens? He forgets God is with him, just like you do and just like I do. But you know, I know God is with him. This is my comfort zone, and so I can... I can pray and remind him of that. And he, he wept. And it was a beautiful demonstration of God using me when I didn't feel anything. And as I walked out of that preoperative area, I felt that God was saying to me, David, I love your childlike faith. I love the fact that you asked me for whatever you want. But when you don't get it, how you respond says everything about our relationship. It says everything about it. By the way, I love Sam more than you do. Oh, now, see, that's a, that, that 
catches us as strange, but it's the truth. And we have to remember our loved ones are the people we have invested in. God loves them more than we do. We say, God, why are you doing such and such? to them? Why did they get a divorce when I prayed for it? Why did they die of cancer when I prayed for them? God says, I love them more than you do. And their relationship with me is between the two of us. Your relationship with me is between the two of us. Let me be God in their life. I appreciate your concern. You're welcome to pray for whatever you'd like. And I invite that. Well, Sam went to the rehabilitation center. I was glad when Sam finally got out of the hospital. You see, for a physician, the people that do well go home very shortly. The people that don't do well remind you day after day that you failed. And so those of you who had a physician or a surgeon, things didn't go perfectly well for you, and they didn't really want to talk about it. We hear the word failure, and most of us are, are perfectionists. We don't want to hear that. And so we, we don't really want to talk about your pain or your problems after surgery. And I'm sorry, that's true. Some of it is our own, our own ego or our own wounding or the fact that our identity depends on our performance. But three months later, I saw Sam's name on the schedule. And I kind of cringed, oh, I don't want to see Sam today. But I saw the wheelchair go by my office. Oh, I went to the bathroom and splashed water on my face, God help me. I could feel the anger. I didn't want to go in the room. But I did. I knocked on the door. I went in and I, Sam, how are you? And I, his wheelchair was facing away from the door. And so I, as I went by, I just touched his shoulder and I felt just nothing but bone there. Just emaciated. Just had wasted away this man. Doctor, what happened? Sam asked. I went to my whiteboard and I drew the malformation and where we put the glue and potentially what had happened and explained it all and said, Sam, I, I, I think there was just some swelling. I don't, I don't know why this happened. I can't explain it, but these are the reasons that I think this happened. And Sam went away. I prayed again for Sam at every visit. Came back another three months and same question. Doctor, why did this happen? Oh, I explained it last time. I, I don't want to go through this again. And so I, I drew on the board again. Remember, Sam, we talked about this. And Sam, I said, this was, Sam, this is one of the hardest cases that I've had to deal with. I'm, I'm so sorry this happened to you. But I felt that anger, maybe bitterness. As a physician, I... I, I didn't know what to do. All I could say is, Sam, well, let's, let's pray about it. And so we prayed again, but nothing seemed to change. The atmosphere was tense. Sometime later, I felt that God was saying, why don't you go visit Sam? Why don't you see what it is like to live in a wheelchair? Well, I wasn't really excited about that. 
but I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm up for some character growth. I, I can do this. I think I, I want to be willing to learn. And this is going to be a good, a good lesson for me. So I, I went down. I called Sam, very surprised to hear from me. He said, yeah, come on down. I drove down to the south part of town where the bars are on the windows, and I knocked on the door. Sam's sister opened the door, and there was Sam, and it had an electric wheelchair, a little uh, scooter-type thing that he had a little bit of movement of the right arm. Sam, how are you? Well, you know, how do you think I am? I'm looking at aromatherapy, he said. Maybe the, maybe the aromatherapy can help me a little bit. And I kind of smiled and felt like God was telling me, why don't you apologize to Sam? And so I, I had before in the office, and so I said really what, what I had said before. I said, uh, Sam, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. I never wanted this to happen to you. Remember, we, we prayed about this. So I was actually hoping he would blame God and not stop blaming me. <laughs> and Sam kind of, you know, looked off into space. Yeah. Sort of like, I've, I've heard that before. I heard God saying, I want you to really apologize to Sam. Oh, you know, I'm a professional. I, I, I don't know that I can do that. And God said, do you want him to heal? Because what I told you earlier, that an apology, if you can get an apology, the chances that you can heal are much higher. How much do you love Sam versus your career? So I said, okay. Sam, I am the one that put you in that wheelchair. I'm the reason you can't walk. You trusted me, and I let you down. Sam started weeping, just weeping. Hitting himself in the head with that clumsy right arm. He couldn't wipe his tears. He called for his sister to bring him a Kleenex. I'm the one that put you in that wheelchair. Sam, you need to forgive. God has forgiven me, but will you forgive me? for you, because I believe it's keeping you from healing. And Sam said, yes, I will forgive you. And we went through a prayer of, uh, of forgiveness, a bit of a, a declaration of forgiveness. And at the end, I said, Sam, now that you have forgiven. The Bible says if, if we forgive, God wants to forgive us. Is there anything that you need to be forgiven for? He said, yeah. At that point, was able to ask God to forgive his sins. I said, Sam, I would love to pray for you again. Can we do it? And so I stood up, and he said yes, and I prayed for Sam, and Sam felt electricity go down his spine. And his right arm started moving, and his right leg started moving, and I thought this was, he was going to get up out of the wheelchair, but he did not. 
But he felt that electricity going down his spine for three days. Three solid days he felt that electricity. And at the end of those days, he had enough strength that he was able to walk on the parallel bars in the rehab center. Bitterness, anger with God, anger with people, anger with people because we're angry with God. There is a, a declaration that I take people through. But I want to give you a few moments. There's something called reframing. You see, Zechariah had to reframe his situation of pain. I had to reframe the situation with Sam. Sam has to reframe his injury. That our first default response is usually, God's abandoned me. How come this happened? Uh, doubting God, doubting his goodness, doubting his presence, doubting uh, our goodness. Always, all of this negativity is our default response, generally speaking. And I have to tell you, if you are in a situation like Zechariah, you are going to need faith, more faith, every year. Same faith not going to do it this year that did it last year, because you're another year older. Right? The, the, the circumstances and your age and everything that people are telling you that's pouring in on you, if you don't upgrade your faith every year, you're going backwards. Amen. And that's why you come to conferences like this or listen to conferences like this so that you can upgrade your faith and say, yeah, you know, I have I've actually started doubt, doubting a bit. Normal, it's the way our brain actually functions. Your, your brain is a predicting machine. It's actually trying to help you predict. Using what you've experienced in the past is trying to help you to predict. And there I was with, I'd never prayed mechanical prayers. I thought, well, they don't work. I, I've only prayed, in my experience, when, when I felt like praying or felt like God was, was present with me. And what do you know? You can pray mechanical prayers. In fact, I believe that many times we need to pray even if we don't feel it or see it because that's the definition of faith, isn't it? Once you see it, once you feel it, really, really faith is, is not exercise and faith is like a muscle. You have to use it. And so I want us to engage now in reframing our problems. What problem is facing you? Is it your health? Is it your finances, your ministry, your relationships, your job? That you can reframe as an opportunity. You see, even stress, we found the, the research shows that The same stress chemicals can be secreted into the body, but your 
physical, physiological response are different depending on how you think about it. If you think it's a threat, your resistance will clamp down, your blood pressure will go up, and your cardiac output of your heart is going to go down. You're going to start backing up, taking the blood away from the skin in case you're injured. That's the threat response. Same chemicals. The challenge response opens up the blood flow. It says it moves you forward, saying these chemicals, this stress, this is a good thing. This means my body is rising to the challenge. This means I have the resources. And if you are children of God, you have the resources. And so everything is actually a challenge response and not a threat response. The world calculates and the, the, the fear in the media, it's all threat. If it's not this, it's not that, it's the terrorists, it's some, always threat. Be afraid, be very afraid. But God's, God doesn't look at it like that. He looked at Zechariah and he said, what, too old? What are, you, what are you talking about? It's not my diagnosis. Baron, that's not my diagnosis. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry they gave you that. That was the wrong diagnosis. You see, reframing. Interesting question. God, what are you doing? What, what are you doing now? What might you be doing in my life with this problem? I promise you he's always doing something good. How do I know that? It's his character. That's his character. You see, we have these why questions. God, why? Why did this happen or that happen? Or I lost this job or prayers weren't answered or I lost that relationship and I so wanted that. Why? And the why is sort of like Zechariah. It's sort of a little, has a little hook on it, a little accusation. In other words, God, I want you to prove to me that you're good. You see, that's the way relationships work Humanly speaking, if I was scheduled to speak to you, and I just showed up right about now, late, uh, you all would be um, saying, wow, he's inconvenienced us, but he's here. Okay, I wonder why he's late. He'll give us an apology before he starts. And so I would go, I'd say, my plane was late, whatever. Okay, you'd say, now I can listen to you. But if I just came up here and started speaking, most of you would not be able to hear a word I said. I had inconvenienced you, and I had not given you a reason for that inconvenience. In human relationships, to give me grace, you need an explanation. Oh, what about the relationship with God? Many things happen, and we don't get an explanation. Now, the only thing that would change things with our relationship is if you had evidence based on my character you would say, you know, I don't know the reason he's late, but I know he has a good one because I know his character. And with God, we've got the scriptures and we have our experience. Maybe not our present experience, but our past experience. And we need to go back and mine the joy from those experiences and celebrate his character and saying, God, I am going to reframe my current situation based on your character. I don't understand it. I have to say I don't even like it, but you must be up to something good because that is your character. I can't wait to see what it's going to be. It's, it's obviously going to be good. And in the meantime, through this problem, we are going to get closer together. 
I'm going to learn something that I could not have learned any other way, and I trust you. These why questions, they can ask, act like obstacles between you and your relationship with God. And so I want you to address those now. I want to give you a few moments, and I want you to address your why questions. And then I want to take you through a declaration, essentially saying that I'm going to, God, you don't have to answer my questions right now. I'm going to trust you based on your character. There's something about declaring things. It's our words have great power. God spoke and the world was created. You are made in the image of God. His words have power. Your words have power. And so when you declare things, tremendous power to bless or to curse, and that's why I'm actually apologizing for the medical profession. Many times we, we curse people with fear. You know, if you don't do that, you may end up like this. And we benefit from that. And I'm sorry. But God is a God who loves to bless and wants us to bless ourselves. And so we want to do that in a moment. But I want you to spend uh, a few moments just sitting with God, reframing some of your problems. Drawing a different frame. God, I know you're doing something good. What might you be doing? Help me understand so that I uh, can move into this a little bit better. And even if I don't understand, I'm going to keep moving forward. But I'm going to reframe this as something good. I wouldn't have chosen it, but since it has come to me, help me reframe it as something good. I'm going to give you a minute right now. You know, I ran across Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. In Zachariah's case, isn't that so true? That We even have a proverb that tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. God knows that. But it says that then a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And so how are we going to combat the natural tendency to move into negativity? We are naturally, we have a negativity bias in our brains. Your brain is trying to protect you from pain in the future, and so it naturally goes to what's going to go wrong, what's not going to work out. So if you are going to have faith, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to put some effort into it. You're going to have to, um, to say things, to sing things, to declare things, to believe, to keep believing that it's true. So I'd like everyone to stand up. If someone comes to my office and they have a, an issue with God, and I've had a number of, uh, number of people who I, I usually look to see, is there every physical ailment can potentially have a root in relationship, or problems with relationship with others, with their self, or with God. And so... I want to, if I find someone that has a problem in their relationship with God, I usually take them through a declaration like this. And so I want to do this uh, with you today. Um, I'd love it if you, if you feel comfortable to say this after me. Uh, Heavenly, Father, Heavenly Father, these why questions, these why questions, 
These things I don't understand. Things that stand between us. Things that hurt me. Problems with people I love. Those questions, I choose to set them aside. And you can explain them to me later. We have all of eternity to talk about these things. You don't have to explain it to me now. I know that you are good. Not blind faith, based on your character. On the scriptures and on my experience. I can see that you have been with me. You have been good to me all of my life, even though I've made foolish choices. I choose to engage my faith muscles. I can see that you are worth trusting. You've promised to work all things together for good to those who love you. And I love you. I am reframing my problem. This is an unprecedented opportunity to trust you. I have never been here before. Not with these circumstances. Not at this age. Unprecedented opportunity. You must be up to something good. Because that is your character. You are enough for me and my loved ones. I trust them into your hands. You will give them the grace to handle whatever they are going through. I will not be angry with you for what you allow in their lives. You are enough for them. And you are enough for me. Forgive me for doubting that you are good. I will reframe this problem and think of this as an opportunity, a challenge to trust you when I don't yet see how it will work out. I'm not allowing these circumstances to stand between us. You don't have to prove yourself to me. My circumstances are not a measuring stick of your love. The cross is a measuring stick of your love. And you proved your love. And you don't have to do it again. I am coming after you, not waiting for you to prove yourself. Forgive me, Father. I want to be 
your child. Mm. Amen. Mm. Just, just have a moment of silence. Just, just bask in that moment. beautiful. God loves his children coming to him, being honest about the pain, right? Relationship, the basis of every relationship is honesty and respect. And if you're not honest, like, God, that hurts. He says, bring it to me. Tell me it hurts and then be convinced that I'm going to use it for good. Mm. I want to bless you. I am like Zechariah from the tribe, a descendant of the tribe of Levi. And I would be remiss if I did not bless you as a Levite. Because in Numbers, God said that the Levites were to minister to him and to bless the people in his name. And I hope that many of you this evening are visited by an angel who tells you that your prayer has been answered. But I want to bless you now from Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And remember when he said that, they were in a desert. They were not in slavery, but they were not in the promised land. And many of us here are no, we're not in the promised land. And it is a difficult time. And he said, remember, basically, in Hebrew... I am blessing you. I know you've got problems, but do you see that I'm blessing you? And I'm keeping you. Yes, you've lost some things, but I'm, I'm keeping you. And my face shines. Not like a star would shine. It's this kind of shining when your three-year-old runs up to you and you're just beaming. And the, the child is joyful and you're joyful and you're amplifying each other's joy because of the, the look on his face. It's just shining because you. My countenance, whenever I see you, and I see you all the time, he's saying. Oh, if you think that my countenance, my face is down, when you come around, I'm going to lift it up because I love it when you come around. And I want more than anything, to give you shalom, to give you peace. That is not just absence of war. That is the peace that is, passes understanding from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. That is relational peace. That is financial peace. That is peace in your body, health. And obviously it is peace and good relationship with your Heavenly Father. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you.